Hello and welcome to Who Says No, the NBA trade podcast. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I am an NBA writer for CBS Sports. This is a podcast where we talk about trades and transactions. Uh, we haven't had a lot of those recently, so we've been a little bit slower. But unfortunately, uh, there's been some news that kind of makes us have to talk about trades and transactions and signings and things like that. So with me to talk about the Jamal Murray injury is Sam Quinn, my partner in crime, my podcast host, Fantastique. I'm really getting crazy with these introductions. Sam, please take the mic away from me. Well, Colin, I was about to say, I've noticed another little quirk of our introductions. You always say, my name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I always say, I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. So we really are mixing it up a little bit. I will say, you're getting really good at the like the hype man portion of your hosting duties. Like I always feel really good now when you give me the titles coming in. I, I'm just hyped. I'm ready to talk some basketball, which is a weird place for me to be right now because we're talking about such a negative topic, right? Like I think we can agree this is probably the most somber podcast that we've ever done together. It's weird. And you go like we just automatically need to bring that energy off the top. But then it's like we're talking about like, honestly, I, I want to talk to you about this because like I was off. I was in San Francisco with my wife or, you know, enjoying our first, uh, you know, out, outdoor dinner at a real restaurant since the pandemic, since we both got our vaccine shots. We're very excited. And like we're about to go out and we see Jamal Murray curled up on the floor on Twitter and we're like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? My wife's a basketball fan too. And like this, this one hit hard, man, because like the Nuggets were playing so well. They had just traded for Aaron Gordon, which looked like it was the missing piece for them. We were legitimately talking about them as like a a title contender, like a team that could win the NBA title and to, to take away Murray, who's just, uh, on top of just improving that team so much, just one of the most entertaining players in the league, particularly in the playoffs. Like this one hits hard, man. I don't know about you. I think this might be, I'm struggling to go through it. This is probably the most depressing injury I remember in quite some time, right? I, I'm trying to think of what some other ones were. I think Kobe's Achilles might be up there because you had this real sense that like, Oh my God, at his age, like his career is over. Like, he obviously came back, but it wasn't quite the same. Like he was, right. that was his last elite game. You know, like I'm trying to think of like, when have we ever had this combination of a really young player, B really popular player. Like, I don't think anybody has negative opinions about Jamal Murray. He's never left his team. He plays in a small market. He's pretty humble, right? Like nobody's going around showing Jamal Murray quotes in locker rooms being like, wow, this guy's such a, you know, cocky dude. He's like, we don't like him. I think everybody pretty universally likes the Nuggets, thinks it would be good for basketball if they were to succeed. And like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the next two champions might be altered by this injury. Like, this is not a one-year injury either. Like, he's going to be back a year is the usual timeline in April next year. And he's probably not going to be 100% by then. Next year in April, we're going to be rounding into the playoffs, right? Like, we're not going to be waiting until late May to start the playoffs again. So that's it. Like, Denver had, I don't know, we don't know how long the window really is. It can depend on so many different things. If you thought Denver had a five-year window before this, now they have a three-year window. If you thought they had a 10-year window, now it's an eight-year window. Like, however long you thought they had, knock two years off of it. It's Really sad. I really have nothing positive to say about it. it. It just sucked. And I remember watching it, and, like, the worst part of these injuries is the moment where you can hold out some hope, where, like, you see the lower foot injury, and you're like, 
oh, that's an ankle. That's not an Achilles. Or, you know, that's a hyperextension. That's not an ACL. When you saw this one, you kind of knew right away. And he had just missed four games in a row. It was a right injury, or right knee injury, rather, not a left knee. So for a second, you're thinking, oh, it was the other knee. So, you know, like they're not connected. But then you realize, oh, he was probably overcompensating. Maybe if he hadn't been in the game, he hadn't, wouldn't have gotten hurt. But like, once you saw this, you kind of knew, like, this is bad. He's probably going to be done for the year. And then we got the news, and it's a real bummer. Yeah, it sucks. And I was, I mean, I was thinking there, there's been some devastating, like, playoff injuries, right? Like, we saw, you know, Kawhi the, with the Zaza thing that kind of changed the, could have changed the course of that playoffs. Obviously, the Warriors injuries with Durant tearing his Achilles and Clay tearing his ACL in the same series. But in terms of a regular season injury uh, that actually has impact as much as this one, I'm not sure that we've seen it. And it was another, the other thing is, like, you're just, you know, everybody's kind of gotten Brooklyn and the Lakers penciled in. I know the Lakers have had their issues, but, like, if healthy, I think everyone pretty much agrees that they are the favorite to come out of the West. And, like, the De- Denver was, like, the team that was becoming, like, hey, like, this is actually a legitimate team. I, I still don't know if many people buy into the Jazz or Phoenix, and obviously we've seen – what the Clippers did last year. So just, to, I, I think it like the fact that they're kind of this non-traditional power that's kind of coming up for this to happen to them now is just even more deflating. They would have been, I am going to pick the Lakers to win the West barring more injuries to LeBron and AD, but they would have been my pick to give them the hardest series, which you know now they're not like now we'll get to this in a little while. Like looking at the standings, they're almost a lock to play the Lakers in the first round. And they're going to lose that series now. Like, I, I'm sorry, with Murray, they had a chance. Without him, they don't. And the other thing that hits so hard about this is just the age, right? Like, you think about when Kawhi got hurt or, you know, when KD got hurt, when Clay got hurt. Those guys already had championships under their belt. They'd all accomplished so much, been all-stars for several years, made a lot of money. Now, fortunately, Murray has signed his contract extension already. But, like, there's a real feeling here, like, we didn't see the peak. We saw the beginning of it when he scored 50 twice in a series against Utah, but there was so much more to come here. I think in that vein, the only injury I can compare it to is Derrick Rose. And that's really concerning when you look at what happened to Derrick Rose's career after he tore his ACL. Yeah. And, you know, ACLs are much more common now. It's a, it's a faster recovery, but like, you never know how guys are going to recover. You know, never know what guys are going to look like. I mean, well, look at Clay. he tore his Achilles afterwards. Right. Like you never know. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins has never been the same. Obviously, he had multiple injuries, but, you know, kind of similar situation. Oladipo's injury was more severe than a torn ACL, but he hasn't been anywhere remotely close to the same player. So, uh, I mean, I guess we don't need to just pile on how depressing this is. But, uh, you know, everybody is hoping that Jamal Murray will come back as strong as ever. But he was really, really on this ascent. And I think everyone was looking forward to seeing him in the playoffs. Agreed on all fronts, and now we have the unenviable task of trying to figure out what comes next. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with this season, or do you want to start? Yeah, let's just talk about it real quick, because obviously, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, like, Denver's no longer a title contender without Jamal Murray. I don't think that's saying anything controversial. Um, But they do have Nikola Jokic. They do have capable guards to fill in for him and Monte Morris and Faku Campazo, and, uh, you know, they may or may not be signing Austin Rivers, which we can talk about later. Um, but in terms of, of this season, um, like you said, they're probably still going to hang on to, to the fourth seed, maybe the fifth seed. They're a, a very, uh, you know, potent regular season team with Jokic alone. This offense is still going to be really good. Michael Porter Jr. is playing great. Um, I guess my question is, what is their ceiling as a playoff team? 
um, without Jamal Murray. Well, look at the other teams in the West, right? Like, I think we probably would have picked the Lakers over them, even if they weren't full health. Now, without Murray, they're not beating the Lakers. You know who's probably doing, I hate to say this, probably doing backflips or whatever the injury equivalent is. Like, you're obviously never happy about an injury, but the team that maybe is a little relieved right now is the Clippers, because there was a real moment there where it looked like, you know, maybe they'll fall to four and five and they'll have to play the Nuggets in the first round after what happened last year. Or maybe the Nuggets are, will just pass them and they'll be in the four or five matchup with the Clip, with the Lakers. The Clippers now, like their path looks a lot easier, right? Like they're probably going to be the three pretty comfortably. They'll get Dallas or Portland in the first round and then presumably Phoenix in the second. Like that Nikola Jokic domino that was really in their way it's probably, it's gone. Like, they don't really have to worry about the Nuggets now. So I just really struggle looking at the sort of teams they might play in the West. Who are they beating? I mean, they're not beating Utah now, right? Like, the guy who beat Utah for them last year is gone. They're not beating Phoenix without Murray. They're not beating the Lakers. They're not beating the Clippers. Like, could they beat the Mavericks? I I still don't even think so. I mean, not that it's relevant because they're not going to be, you know, facing off against each other in the bracket, but... I just, they're going to lose in the first round because I, I just, looking at the top four other teams in the West, who are they beating without Murray? Nobody. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point because um, you say, okay, well, yeah, or, you know, I think I asked you this question, like, oh, are the Nuggets still like good enough to be a Western Conference Finals team? And it's like, maybe in a vacuum, sure, but they have to actually play these teams. So when you look at the bracket and who they have to get through to even get to that point, um, it's going to be difficult. But a couple of things I'm actually you know, excited, not excited, but yeah, I, I guess excited to, to see without Jamal Murray is like the Jokic only crunch time stuff, you know, like Murray kind of goes in and out during the, the first three quarters of games, but in the fourth quarter, he's generally the guy he's averaging 4.3 points in the clutch this year, shooting 50%, 57% three pointers. So like he's, everyone knows about his clutch gene, but now we're going to see Jokic and he'll get, you know, all of the touches, all of them, he'll be, have to be a little more offensively aggressive in the clutch uh, to kind of look for his own shot instead of just setting others up. So I'm curious to see how that looks. And then the other thing is Michael Porter Jr. He's really taken off recently. Um, I think he's averaging like 20 points on like 45% shooting his last 15 or 20 games. So um, is he going to be able to kind of ascend and not obviously a much different player than Jamal Murray, but is he going to be able to kind of become that second guy during the clutch time that Jamal Murray would have normally taken over. So, um, you know, if they can do those things, I think that they're still going to be really dangerous. Uh, but lacking Murray's punch, I mean, the guy dropped 50 points in two different playoff games last year in, in one series. So, I mean, that's just a lot to lose. So I want to go back to Porter for a second. I think this is another element that kind of concerns me where Porter comes into the league and he's clearly thinking to some extent, like I'm the next Kevin Durant. I want to do X, Y, and Z with the ball in my hands. And it's been a process. It's been a little painful, frankly, but this season, especially once Aaron Gordon got there, they had really gotten it down to the point where like Porter was this really dangerous off ball scorer where he was moving so well, cutting so well, shooting so well, just in general, doing all of the things you need to do when you're the third banana on a Nikola Jokic team. If now he's suddenly the number two option and like the best player on the floor for 12, 13 minutes a game when Jokic sits, is that going to put some bad habits in his head? Like, is he going to start thinking, okay, our only way to win is for me to ISO a bunch, 
is it going to change the dynamic when Murray comes back? Like, I hate to think this way, but like, is there a chance that Porter sort of outgrows the role that he had sort of started to fit into? And then when Murray comes back, it causes some tension. I mean, I don't know. Fortunately, I think Jamal Murray is pretty comfortable in whatever role you need. Like his real, the, the thing that differentiates him from other star guards is how well he feeds off of Jokic. Their two man game is so incredible. He's such a good off ball player. I mean, just the way that he moves, the way that he diverts attention away from Jokic, there are like three or four other guards in basketball who can do that. I don't think that's in any danger, but like if Michael Porter suddenly feels like, Hey, I'm a star. I don't want to be a number three. I don't know that this is a great situation for that. Yeah. And it's like, I guess you kind of hinted at it, but like, what is the two man game between Porter and Jokic? I, you know, I, I don't want to say that I've watched a ton of nuggets this year, but uh, to me, Michael Porter doesn't really seem like that, you know, primary ball handler, like pick and roll initiator type of player. And if it's not him, then then who is that player? Is it Will Barton? Is it, you know, Monty Morris? Are you putting Aaron Gordon back in that role? So I guess it I, mean, I think you wrote one of your stories after they got Gordon was that they the Nuggets had simplified everything for him. And that's what was helping him thrive. Now, suddenly you're asking him to do more of those things that you were asking him not to do before. And that kind of goes up and down the roster. You're just going to need a little bit more from everybody, which kind of gets to your point about Porter in terms of how is he doing more? Is he uh, just going to be isoing more uh, when Jokic is on the bench? And is that necessarily a good thing for the Nuggets? I'm not sure. So I think the one really encouraging note for their point guard situation in general is kind of look at some of the guys who have succeeded in Denver. Jokic was a mid-second round pick. Will Barton was an afterthought in Portland. You know, Gary Harris, I think he was like the 15th pick. Like, you kind of go through the guys that have had success in in Denver. Like, obviously, there are some lottery guys. Like, Jamal Murray was, you know, everybody knew what he was going to become. Porter was anointed from birth as a star. But, like, Denver has had a lot of success developing guys. And when they've had minutes, like, finding diamonds in the rough. Maybe Monty Morris is secretly a starting caliber point guard. I think there's a fair bit of evidence for it. Never turns the ball over really smart. I think a better shooter than the numbers can really convey. And I am a little curious, like, if you start playing Monty Morris 32, 34 minutes a game, is he going to start looking more like a starter? And one of the benefits to that is either you have a better player when Murray comes back or you have a better trade chip. They extended him last offseason. I'm sure they are thrilled that they did because if they were going to go into this season without Murray, without having Morris under contract, too, now you're talking about Facundo Campazzo as your starter, which I don't think would work very well for a variety of reasons. I mean, the guy's, what, 5'8", five, 5'9"? Five, yeah, you had that generous, guy defending. Man. Yeah, you had that guy defending, like, other top point guards. It would go really, really badly. The only meager success that he has in the NBA is based on beating up, you know, slow, lethargic bench dudes. So, yeah, I think Monty Morris is, I don't want to say the winner here, but I think we're going to learn a lot more about him. And I, I'm cautiously optimistic I think is the way I'd put it like yeah. I think they could win 50 games next year with Monty Morris as their starting point guard yeah Morris is really good and you know um like you said just not going to hurt you does the right makes the right play hits open shots um you're just missing that dynamic you know dynamic quality that that Murray brings obviously and he's never going to replace Murray in that way but like you said regular season I think he's uh, about as solid as, re- as an internal replacement as you can expect to have on a team as good as the Nuggets. Um, 
you mentioned Composo's uh, small stature, and um, you know they are rumored to be getting Austin Rivers to come in, who's a little bit of a bigger guard, can play both guard spots. Um, he would presumably fill in that defensive gap where he would be able to guard, you know, bigger uh, opposing perimeter players. Uh, does does the Rivers signing do anything for you? Does that change your opinion of this team at all? I mean, I think it gives them workable bench minutes, which they sorely needed. Like PJ Dozier is very much a young player. Like he has good nights and he has bad nights. I think they liked the idea of having a more stable option. Now, how many minutes do I think he's going to play in the playoffs? Probably not many. And I think more than anything, like Malone seems to trust Compazzo a lot more than we do. So I think the likeliest outcome here is that Morris and Compazzo just play more and that eats up the bulk of the Murray minutes. And then Rivers, you're probably looking at like 10 to 15 minutes a night. I, I don't know. Like it, I don't think they're going to win a playoff series based on having Austin Rivers, but they had minutes to fill and I, I can't imagine them doing any better than him, right? Like who else was out there that's better than Austin Rivers? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I wrote in Slack, I thought he had already signed with the Bucks. <laughs> I thought I got that news, and then they're like, oh, that never happened, because they got Jeff well, Teague instead. Jeff Teague had that one great game against the Warriors, and as Jeff Teague is wont to do, like, that'll, you know, get him minutes for the rest of his time in Milwaukee. That's what you got to do, man, just show him. You got to prove it the to him. The one good game, and then everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's cool. Well, this is the Budenholzer thing, too, right? Like, he loves guys that he coached in Atlanta. Like, there's another one. Like, he probably looked at Jeff Teague and thought, oh, Tibbs wasn't the right coach for him. Brad Stevens wasn't the right coach for him. I can bring back the all-star Jeff Teague that I once had. And maybe he will. Who knows? I do. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I know the answer to that. No. Yeah, I, um, I would suspect that Jeff Teague is not going to be playing when it counts. So, yeah, major bummer for the Nuggets this year. Um, kind of takes a lot of the wind out of their sails. Although they do, did have a big win um, against the Heat without him in their first game after the injury, so good for the Nuggets. Um, as you mentioned, this is not just a one-year, you know, couple-month injury. Uh, this will go into next year, possibly deep into next season. Because, uh, like, right now, we're in mid-April. Like, the regular season will be over right now if we start at the normal time. So if they do go back to the regular schedule, this would be right about the year mark, which... You know, I've seen anything from, you know, why, like eight months usually for an ACL. Um, Jamal Murray, by all accounts, is one of the hardest workers in the NBA. So he might push that a little bit. But then you're looking at, you know, a couple months of getting used to being on the court and then being thrown right back into the playoffs. So um, d- we mentioned how Denver's it was this team that was up and coming and it looked like the Gordon piece was just this like, you know, locking everything into place. And now we've got this core that we can move forward with does this injury considering that it's going to go into next season, does that change what they do this off season? Does that change their extension plans? Uh, is Michael Porter jr. Go from untouchable to possibly on the move. I mean, what, where do you see the kind of dominoes falling here? So let's start with the, the basics of this right now. Denver has around 126 million committed next year. The projections are pretty fluid, but I think we would expect the the luxury tax to come in at around 136, 137 million. So they're, they've got around 10 million in space below the tax. I, I you would agree with me, right? They're not going to pay the tax next year, knowing that Murray's out. Like if they're going to pay the tax for a team they think can win the title, right now we don't think that, right? Well, my my only question would be, is there like a one year guy like that they could overpay to kind of be a Murray replacement, like a 
you know, a- any of the bigger names in the, in the so, free agent list, like a Schroeder or a Conley or DeRozan or somebody that they could just I, throw a bunch of money at and bring it in. I, I don't think they're, they're not going to have access to those guys. I mean, especially if you sign and trade for them, then you're hard capped. So I don't think that there's like a really appealing one year option that could help them. They're obviously not going to have cap space. If you're talking about mid-level point guards, I mean, there, there are some appealing options out there, right? Like, I think this is going to be a good offseason for teams that need point guards. I think Patty Mills would really fit in well there. I think TJ McConnell could really help them defensively. Derek Rose could give them some of that scoring. Reggie Jackson could give them some of that scoring. Like, there are point guard options out there. The issue for them is they've got that $10 million below the tax line. Paul Millsap is going to be a free agent this offseason. I don't know if they want to re-sign JaVale McGee, but he's going to be a free agent. P.J. Dozier needs a new contract. Will Barton has a $14.9 million player option. He might opt out. I don't think he would want to raise, but I wouldn't rule it out. Like, they're not really in a position where, like, they can't really add to this group. If they're bringing in a point guard, somebody else is leaving to make up for that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, th- I think that they'll just kind of stick with what they've got. But that was my only thought is if, you know, hey, let's let's do whatever we can to stay in pretty decent position this year until Murray gets back and then we can move forward with our core, you know, after afterwards. But if that's that doesn't sound like it's well, financially very uh, no. feasible. I'll throw this out there. Do you think that they really care about retaining Paul Millsap? Because I think Paul Millsap is an important part of their rotation, but he's also in his mid his mid thirties. If you let him go, that opens up more minutes for Zeke Naji, who I think has looked pretty good in a limited role as a rookie. I personally would prioritize getting another point guard in over keeping Millsap, especially if you could get someone on a multi-year deal. Like I would love it if they got TJ McConnell for something resembling the mid-level. I just think that's such a different look from what they have in, in the backcourt in general, especially now that Gary Harris is gone. I think that could be like a nice multi-year addition for them that also helps out next year while Murray is out. Do you want TJ but, McConnell and Facundo Campazzo on the same team? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, look, if I were running the Nuggets, I wouldn't have Facundo Campazzo on my team. So like, I'm just Let's thinking say, from that perspective. The, the player's wrists and forearms would be too bruised to play from practice. So my question is, like, Denver is a team that, like, generally is powered by inertia, right? Like, outside of the Gordon deal, like, they're not a team that tends to make huge trades or, you know, fl- splashy free agent signings. They just wanted to retain Jeremy Grant this offseason. If they'd done that, I think they would have kept the basic team together. So I think the likelier outcome here is that they just retain Millsap, retain Dozier, maybe one or two decent guys on the minimum, but they don't really rock the boat. If I were them, I would use this as an opportunity to find a long-term backup guard. Like, I think McConnell would look really nice there. And I think he and Monty Morris could play together in a backup backcourt situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely like the type of move that seems a little more realistic. But I I definitely could see them just kind of bringing the band back together. Uh, Jermichael Green also has an option for next year. So that's another decision they're going to have to make um, if he decides to decline that. And go. I think he's a pretty useful backup stretch four, and probably get some pretty well, good. Well, especially offers. if you're losing Millsap, right? Right. So, um, you know, I, I think whatever moves they do end up making are going to be of the kind of lower impact um, tradition. But it's just it's hard to imagine like going through a whole year and like getting Jamal Murray back post All Star break and expecting to be competitive for a title again. So it's like. 
you don't want to screw everything up by going out and, and ruining things or trading an important piece. But then at the same time, it's like you mentioned, like now that's one more year off the off the window. You know, it's, it's a very difficult place. To I be. think you are planning if you're Denver, you are building to win the title in 2023. Right. Like that's the realistic goal. If you can get Murray back early enough next year and have a real shot, great. I would be willing to use next year as an opportunity to look at more young guys, kind of figure out some rotational questions for the long haul. But then we have two major question marks, and that's both Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. expire after next year. Now, Porter is restricted, and I think we both agree, given Denver's history, they just did this with Jamal Murray, they're probably going to be at Porter's doorstep on whatever the equivalent of July 1st is with a max extension, and he's probably going to sign it. The real question contractually is, what's up with Aaron Gordon? Because he's eligible for a four-year, $88 million extension this offseason. The reports indicate that he's unlikely to take it, and I get why. If he reaches unrestricted free agency in 2022, there's going to be a fair bit of cap space out there that summer, and I think he probably realizes he might be able to get over $100 million. Does Murray being out change that calculus at all? Because suddenly the Nuggets aren't the hot new championship team. Now, if they get knocked out in round one, does he suddenly feel like, wow, I'm not worth as much. I don't have as much upside. I should just grab the contract that I can. I mean, that sounds a little laughable, right? Like few players think that way. But just look at Jeremy Grant, right? Like he got a three-year, $60 million deal based in large part on what happened in the playoffs, right? Like what did we think Grant's deal was going to be before that? Probably – I guess above the mid-level, but certainly not 60 million. So Gordon might look and say, you know what? I'm probably in the opposite situation. Maybe I'm taking that extension now. What do you think? Yeah, and it, it, you have to look at the other side too, which is Montrez Harrell, right? Where his just value just took a huge dive because of his one playoff performance in the bubble. I'll so. grant that tends not to happen to wings. That tends to happen to guards and bigs. Well, I guess, I mean, how, how do you do you consider Gordon a wing? I would say, yeah, they, they're treating him as a wing, right? Like, yeah. they brought him in to defend LeBron, Kawhi. That is the function of a wing, right? The most important thing out of the wing is having somebody to defend other wings. So I, I think they would think of him as a wing. I mean, yeah. I'll put it this I, I way. Honestly, How many teams yeah. could use Aaron Gordon? A billion. They all could. Right. right. And I think that I – don't, I don't think that's going to change. I think uh, – he'll probably turn down the extension. I think he wants to be a free agent and, and test the market. And I think he'll be, what, 27 in the summer of 2022. And at that point, with his athleticism, you know, knock on wood, if he can stay healthy, uh, if he continues to perform even at this level with the Nuggets, I think he, he'll be in for a huge payday. And if he does anything more than that, particularly in the playoffs, like if he looks good, I, I think he'll be a lock for a lot of money. So. I, I don't think he'll sign the extension personally. I'm inclined to agree. Um, the more interesting question to me is we had talked, I mean, me and you, me and guests, you and guests, I'm sure, have talked a lot about the calculus that goes into should Denver trade Michael Porter Jr. Well, he was kind of a luxury item before this, right? It was kind of like our star duo was Murray and Jokic, and then Porter is our upside beyond that. Well, now... <laughs> it kind of looks like Murray is the injury risk and Porter who's largely been healthy the last two years. Maybe he's the essential piece. Or do you look at it and say like, here's our chance to get the sure thing. Let's give up Porter to get say Bradley Beal and say our new core is Jokic, Beal, Gordon, and Murray is the cherry on top. 
If, I mean, if I can trade Michael Porter Jr. for Bradley Beal, I'm doing it. But that's that's me, and that's that's my kind of bias towards how I much think I love was, Bradley Beal. I think, <laughs> I think there was more of a chance that they would have said no before this. Like before this, they had like a lot of let's say first world problems where like they might have been able to say, you know, we'd rather pay Porter the 25% max than pay Beal the 35% max when we also have Jokic, Murray, and Gordon on expensive contracts. Now I think you have to throw that out the window and just say, like, if we can get the surefire star, we have to do it. And if you have Beal and Jokic, that really insulates you from a lot of the concerns with Murray, right? Like, at that point, you have your star duo, and whatever Murray gives you is kind of a cherry on top. Right, and then they're talking about an MVP, likely MVP in Jokic. You're talking about... Uh, perennial all-star and Brad Beal and a guy who's one of the best playoff performers we've seen in recent memory. So I'm not going to say that they're the Brooklyn Nets with, with Durant, Harden and Irving, but that's a pretty damn good threesome to start your, uh, your championship quest with. So uh, I, I would do that in a heartbeat if that, if that option was presented. to Okay. Me. Well, let's lower the bar a little bit here. Is there anybody not named Bradley Beal that you would trade Porter for? Well, the, what I was thinking about, I started doing some draft prep and like, would they do any of this year's guard prospects, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, um, guys Dale like that. Looks so good there. Do any of them intrigue them enough to kind of say, hey, look, this is a good time to trade. Let's trade Porter and whatever pick up to try to get one of those guys. Now, I don't know if that option is going to be on the table, but you know, you look at it from the perspective as like, okay, well, is the guy you're going to get better than Michael Porter Jr.? Probably not. And if you get Jalen Suggs, what does that look like when Murray comes back? So there's a lot of questions, but that was my only other thought in terms of re, kind of reframing their franchise or their roster moving forward is would they look at one of these top tier guys in this draft or maybe a guy that they target as a top two, top three guy who, who they think would drop to like six or seven could they trade up and get one of them? But so, to, to get rid of Porter would be a, a big ask. Yeah, I think that made a lot of sense before the Murray injury because then you would have gotten three extra years of cheap team control, right? Like the Nuggets have never paid the luxury tax in its current iteration. Asking them to do so with Murray having these injury issues, like that's not nothing. This is a small market team that does not generate a lot of cash, at least relative to the rest of the league. So before Murray got hurt, when you felt like we have two guaranteed stars, I would have been open to the idea that, okay, rather than extending Porter now, we're getting three years of rookie deal money on Jalen Suggs or on, I don't know if they would, if anybody would trade Kate Cunningham for Porter, but you know, whoever that guy is, that would have made some sense. And it would have opened up a lot of flexibility for them to do other things. Now it's just like, you can't take that risk. You have Jokic obviously is a, not just a star, like and he's an MVP, but you might need Porter to be your second best long-term player. You can't take that risk on an unknown right now. Yeah. And Porter's a guy who, I mean, you know, I interviewed him a couple of years ago and this was when he was just starting to get some regular playing time and he, you know, Malone would bench him because of his defense and he was really frustrated and he's trying to say the right things, you know, I'm staying patient, just waiting my turn. We got a really, a lot of really good players on this team. I'm just trying to stay patient. It's like, like now is the time, man. Like if he's already playing a lot better, and now with Murray out, he's really got a chance to to kind of take over. So uh, obviously any any move the Nuggets are going to make, they're going to have to wait and see. Like like does he start? Does he become like a 26 point a game guy now? Now that Murray's out, and I think that's definitely 
within the realm of possibilities. And if that's the case, how does that affect his trade value? But also, how does that help change how you view him moving forward with your team? Colin, can I offer you a who says no? Ooh, that's the. I think that's the name of the podcast. Did you yeah, I'm pretty that? sure. Yeah, wow. I, I wonder where the idea came from. Hypothetically, right now, Portland is in six, and they're probably going to lose in the first round. That would make it two years in a row that they get knocked out in the first round. And I believe they're the only year that they would have won a series dating back to that 2016 would have been that one year they made the conference finals. They're not getting any younger. Let's say Denver calls Portland, and this is a weird in-division trade, but just tell me who says no. Jamal Murray and two first-round picks for Damian Lillard. Stunned silence? I think the Nuggets say no. I was just writing it down and looking at it. Okay, so one first-round pick. I still think they say no. I think they think Murray is as good as Lillard in the playoff setting. Well, what I'm wondering now is I think if they would have known that Murray was going to get hurt, which obviously they couldn't have, would they have maybe reconsidered James Harden a little bit? Like now that Murray is injury risk and my suspicion, and honestly, if I were running the Nuggets, I wouldn't trade Murray, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, is there any part of them that's like, there's a little more urgency now do we maybe consider shortening the window a little bit to get somebody right now? Like if they had Lillard and Jokic, like that's an offense that might be good enough to compete with Brooklyn. Like I don't think it would happen, but I'm just going to put it out there. Is there any package whatsoever that maybe makes you think about trading Murray before he comes back and before you know whether his value is impacted or not? I think the answer is no, but like, I don't think it's meaningless that Denver now has two really big injury question marks among their three best players, maybe even four, given the injuries that Gordon has dealt with, like, would they maybe want a little more security? I don't know. I think the answer is no, but I think it's worth throwing out there. Isn't it funny, or not funny, but weird that, like, the injury risks are now Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon, like, these super freak athletes, and then, like, Nikola Jokic is just plodding along, just playing 45 minutes a game, every single game, every single year. Well, like, think about when these injuries occur, right? It's all off of, like, explosive motion. Like, you know, Murray driving to the basket, and, like, he kind of crumples on this explosive leap. Jokic doesn't move well enough to get hurt, right? Like, how is Jokic going to get hurt? He's not running aggressively enough to tear his ACL. Look, man, I, I am an aging pickup basketball player, and I can tell you, as I've gotten older, it's not only that your vertical leap is limited, but you stop seeing the need to jump. So yeah. well, if, Jokic he, if never he's good enough to jump. get away with that at the NBA level, more power to him. Yeah, Jokic never saw the need to jump. So I don't, I, I don't think we need to worry about him getting hurt. Now, if he is going to get hurt, it's because of all the times he gets elbowed and pushed and prodded in the post and the refs aren't protecting him at all. Like that's a real concern, but that's not like an ACL. That's more of just the like, is this guy going to lose his mind and snap and like, you know, break somebody's neck. Well, that's that's a really good point, though, like because you're talking about like at at what point would the Nuggets consider trading Murray for, you know, a more, you know, not a more established star, but a healthier star, you know, and we have seen some frustration from Jokic. Like, obviously, he's never said anything like, you know, screw this team or anything like that. Uh, But we've seen some frustration, uh, visible frustration at, you know, refs and also his teammates when his team's not playing well. And if they're they pretty much, you know, bring the band back together next year and they're not playing well or he feels like he needs to be doing everything. 
uh, he knows Jamal Murray's coming back, but a lot of times you kind of get that tunnel vision where maybe he's frustrated and saying, I don't want to waste a year of my absolute prime uh, where we know we're not going to win the championship. So that would be the only scenario I would think they might try to do something is, is if they're getting the sense that Jokic is getting frustrated somehow. I don't think we have any reason to believe like Jokic does not strike me as somebody who would ever request a trade or anything like, you know, you never know in the NBA, like Kawhi was that moment where you realize anybody could, but I would feel pretty comfortable that like Jokic is going to be a good soldier here. He recognized that this was kind of a fluke and that Murray will eventually be back. So, I mean, you're going to waste a year of Jokic's prime. There's no way around it, but I don't think that's a long-term concern yet. I think if Jokic did demand a trade, he just wouldn't tell anybody and he would just like show up at practice with a suitcase and like a red popsicle and just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm just okay. not coming back. Hypothetical. I mean, we're, we're going off the rails here and like we should stress, we don't believe this would happen. No. Let's say Jokic happening. requested a trade. What's the team and what's the deal? Uh, oof. Dallas for Porzingis. Well, no, the Nuggets aren't doing that. He, you want, you're not adding another injury risk. I'm just saying, I think, it's a demand. If well, he says, I, I, I am going to Dallas. He's under contract for four more years. Like, that's not really a concern. <laughs> I think this is, like, we've made jokes about this. I think that's the move if you're the Knicks, where you literally give up everything. Or, like, every pick, every swap, every player, name your price, whatever it is, we give it up. Because he's under contract for so long that you would have time to rebuild around him and recruit another star. Like, I think that's the all-in Knicks trade. I mean, Miami would obviously offer its whole, you know, the whole shebang. I'm sure Boston would offer Jalen Brown and a bunch of picks. I'm New sure Orleans, Atlanta would offer Zion, everything but Trey. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now your defense would be a problem. But, like, how many points would you The score? amount of beef in your front court, you just lead the league in beef. What about Oklahoma City? Because that's another one where they're, he's under contract for so long. But the Thunder could just offer 10 first-round picks for him and say, Shane, we'll figure Shane it out by Jokic the end. Jokic should be a lot of fun. Well, also, like, they could trade 10 first-round picks for Jokic and still have 10 first-round picks left. <laughs> it's like, we're still good. we still got a, a, a plenty of full cupboard. I don't think this one would ever happen, but Memphis would be a delight, too. Like, John Jokic is the ultimate odd couple, like the super fast guy with the super slow guy. Yeah, we could talk about John more at a different point, but, like, I, he's confused me more than any other player this year. Well, I'm trying remember, to watch him play, and it's just like, I just can't get a handle on, can't get a grip on, like, what he is as an NBA player. But he's also, like, 21. Amin El-Hassan, I think it was Amin El-Hassan, correct me if I'm wrong, said recently, or not recently, said at some point early in the season that John Morant is who De'Aaron Fox thinks that he is. And as soon as he said that, De'Aaron Fox started averaging, like, 25 a game and looked like an all-star. And John, like, just been an up-and-down sophomore player, which we should kind of expect. I thought the shooting last year was not sustainable. So we're kind of, I don't think we talk enough about Ja from the perspective of like, all we do with Ben Simmons is talk about why can't he shoot? What's going to happen if he never learns to shoot? We might have to have that conversation with John Morant at a certain point. Yeah, it was, it's definitely like becoming more apparent and you can tell when it starts to get in guys' heads. Like he was shooting so freely and confidently last season and now he, his percentage has dropped a ton and you can tell that he's kind of like hesitating a little bit, but. This isn't a John Morant podcast. Any no. any last thoughts on the Nuggets? Um, this sucks. Like that's all I can really say. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't. There's nothing. There's nothing more intelligent that we can really say about it, just because, like, that's all it is. It sucks. It's it's a young star getting hurt at the most inconvenient possible time. If this had happened, like, 
in a normal season early in the year, like you'd say, okay, maybe he's just going to miss one season or like, you know, maybe, I don't know. Like there's just so many different ways this could have gone better. We got this super fun contending Nuggets team and we saw five healthy games of it. I mean, what else is there to say? And you know that's that's just like what they're we're gonna be hanging our hats on. Like if Denver's like 500 next year, everybody's gonna be like, yeah. But remember, remember when Murray and Aaron Gordon and that that starting unit, man, wait till they come back. Oh, let me throw one other thing out at you. Do they have potential to be the most dangerous playing team ever? Like next year, they're not gonna have Murray for the regular season. They're fourth now, and they've had him most of this year. Like, is it crazy to think they might be seven or eight next year? And the number one seed is looking around, and I'm like, what the hell? Why do we have to play this team? It's, I mean, it's definitely – I'm looking at the standings. Utah, Phoenix probably aren't going anywhere. Clippers aren't going anywhere. Lakers aren't going anywhere. Uh, Dallas Portland, will be better. Dallas will be better. Memphis will be better. New Orleans potentially be better. They might Golden, be nine. They, they could be the, the, the nine seed. That's crazy, Now, injuries man. always happen, but, like, right. there's a non-zero chance that, like, Denver is in the lower play-in game next year. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll probably be five, six, seven, but like this could get ugly next year. Well, we're going to see. I mean, Jokic, knock on wood, you know, he could win the MVP this year if he stays healthy. Let's hope he stays healthy. Um, Just say, right? Like, there's no longer a debate here. Assuming he stays healthy, he's the MVP. I can't. I mean, I can't say. You know, we could do an MVP thing later, but I get a little frustrated with all the MVP talk because, like. It doesn't matter who the MVP is. It matters who those hundred people vote for. It's like this isn't like an objective award that just goes to the the player that deserves it. It's like who is the MVP is a different question than who's going to win the MVP. So when people say, you know, think about who those hundred people are, they're like us, right? They're media and they crave stories. They need they need to be able to you know talk about stuff. So I've noticed this more this year than ever. Every time somebody has a good game, and it's always the Thursday TNT game, just without – it's always Thursday on TNT. Somebody has a big game, and we, we end up having this conversation like, oh, is Chris Paul in the conversation now? Like, is Rudy Gobert in the conversation now? It's like, no, Jokic is the best player. Joel Embiid had this huge game against the Nets tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, and I was really worried up until that comeback at the end. Like, are people going to be like, wow, the Sixers are the one seed. Embiid is great. Who cares if he missed all those games? No, Jokic is the MVP. He hasn't missed a game. He's been the best player. Don't overthink this. Yeah, newsflash, Sam. That's happening. There, I can tell you at Twitter right now that there are people saying Embiid's MVP case is still as strong as ever. So he may, He's going to end up missing 20 per, not even yeah. 20, like 25% of the season. It's, well, it's my, not my point was next season yeah. without Murray, we'll see uh, if Jokic really is, uh, you know, a quote-unquote MVP based on how far he can carry that team without his, his partner in crime. I really feel for Denver fans. I mean, not only that, this is kind of inside baseball. I love the Denver media. Like, that is such a smart group of reporters and writers that covers that team. They have been so patient with that young group. They've, were, they've been producing interesting content for years before this team was a contender. I just feel bad for them. That's all. Like, I feel bad for everybody involved in this. Well, let's support uh, the Denver media, who, who does a great job. And hopefully next time we reconvene, we'll be having – much more rosy discussions about the NBA and not this depressing stuff. You say that, but like the next time we talk, we're going to find out like some small market stars demanded a trade. So it's never going to be positive. When is it ever positive? Colin? Pessimistic. This is, this is like a mid pandemic podcast where it's just doom and gloom and 
post-apocalyptic. Colin, Marcus Gasol is out of the Lakers rotation. My soul is just crushed. I don't believe Oof. in joy anymore. Yeah, you can listen to podcasts about that in previous episodes. But anyway, Sam. There have been a lot of them. <laughs> I'd say it was fun, but it was not. It was very depressing. No. But thank you for joining me anyway. We'll do better next time, Colin. All right. Talk to you soon.